Welcome to the Together PDX podcast. You're listening to our Gospel Gathering series, where we will be replaying valuable content from past events where local Portland leaders gathered to hear from authors, theologians, and scholars. We'd like to note that the views shared by our guests don't necessarily reflect those of the entire Together PDX team. We pray today's content enriches your day and spirit. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Together PDX podcast. We're about to go into part two of our conversation with Dr. Henry Cloud on healing and health for pastors amidst crisis. This will dive right into a question from local pastor Michelle Jones responding to his talk from part one. Enjoy. I really appreciate a lot of the things that you said specifically about uh, your own experience and how you had to, you know, kind of go through this the situation you were having this panic attack and you went and you, you really got help. You sought help. Yeah. And, 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 and Michelle, it was not a panic attack. I thought it was, I went crap. I flew in late. I didn't eat. My blood sugar dropped. I was tired. I made it through it. I don't want to do that again. And then I, I was on a tour. I was actually speaking for women of faith in these big arenas so I had to do this every week. So the next week I fly wherever, wherever, and I go up on the, on the, on the stage again, you know, tens of thousands in the audience. It happened again the next week. It happened again the week after. It happened again. That's when I realized, that's when I came out of denial. So it wasn't just one. Series of episodes happen. And, and here's, here's my question. It's it's one thing to know the word and it's one thing to to change my mind in that way and I understand that and I get that. How does a pastor or a leader or a person how do how do they know when to go to a therapist versus when to go to a friend for prayer versus when to go to you know the word and study? Yeah. How do you how do you know? It's a really, really important question. Um, it's why I, it's basically what I've been working on for the past two years in this thing called Churches That Heal. Um, it's a program I've developed for churches to enter into this, this space with people. And basically it's, it's about that question. And, and I want to, I want to tweak it just a little bit because because there's a little bit, and we do this in the evangelical world a lot, is we kind of see it as how do we know when I need to go see, I think your words, need to go see like a therapist as opposed to a friend, right? So the first thing we've done is if you've noticed, and we've done this, and this is what I, this is what Churches at Heal is about. This is what I've been fighting for 30 years. We've bifurcated emotional struggles into, okay, well, there's some that kind of like spiritual problems and spiritual answers, but there's some of these emotional problems. We need to go see the psychologist because this is really an emotional issue that's getting the, you know, diagnostic proportions. Okay. First of all, I want to say in, in a, in a very big way, we have made a false dichotomy there. And it started, and this is what, guys, if I could scream this from the housetops for you, because this is your greatest, greatest opportunity, I think, to help people, if we can get this message. When I first started in this field, 
there were, you talked to somebody, well, that's a spiritual problem. You need prayer to get in the word and, and go, you know, kind of the spiritual. No, that's an emotional problem. You need to go see the psychologist. And there, there was this division in spiritual problems and emotional problems. Then we're going to do this integration of psychology and theology, which is the worst idea paradigm that ever was floated, probably past self-esteem. There is no such thing in the Bible as a spiritual problem and an emotional problem. Okay. There's no such thing as, as, you know, a theological understanding you know, sort of like you got a, a spiritual, so the integration of psychology and theology, that there is one creation, there is one fall, there's one gospel to redeem that. And God is not spiritual or emotional. God is a spiritual, he is a spirit, and he has a clinical life. He has emotions, he has moods, he has freedom from addiction, but it's in the addiction space, right? He doesn't have it, but we could try to diagnose it. It's not, no, he, he has everything we have. He, he has, he has activation sometimes, you know, we have anxiety because we feel powerless. God has activation and he's afraid, quote, if I let these humans keep building this tower to heaven, they can do anything they want. I better move. Okay. That's being activated by crisis. Okay. God's got the clinical life, the emotional life. He's also relational. We don't just send people to a shrink because they they can't get close to people or their relationships are bad. And God's a performer. So it's not like these all these psychological issues are not spiritual. Number one. Number two, and this is what this is what I've dedicated my most of my career to is that sometimes we have truncated, and we all have done this, and we do it, and I find myself kind of like almost sometimes, you know, when do we send somebody to a friend for prayer or get in the Word? Well, think about this. If they go to a shrink, if we say, well, that's not helping, I need more, and they go to a shrink, what are they going to do with the shrink? Okay, they're going to open up, and they're going to start processing how they feel. All right? They're going to bring what's in the darkness into the light. They're going to agree with the shrink that they're failing in some way. Oh, I'm sorry. The Greek word for agree is confess. Oh, wait a minute. That's James 5.16. Confess your faults to one another so that you may be healed. Wait a minute. I'm going to process my feelings. with the th- Hold on a second. The word that I was over here with my friend studying says weep with those who weep. Okay, I've got to memorize that verse. Weep with those who, oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe I need to set that down, and maybe I need to get with my friend. I need to start crying and processing this. Now, wait, now, wait a minute. Now I'm doing what the therapist says. Oh, hold on a second. I've got to, I've got to grieve. And see, here's the thing. We talk about getting in the word, but and, and, and this is one of the big ones you hear all the time. You get in the word because the truth shall set you free. And a lot of the scripture memory people will, will tell people who are struggling, you know, you got to memorize the scripture. And I just did it here, right? It's important to dispute all this negative crap, but they'll say because the truth shall set you free, right? No, 
That's not what the verse says. Go to the passage. What it says is, if you hold to my teachings, if you walk in my ways, there's a lot of ways to translate that phrase, Jesus said, but if you if you do the stuff I'm talking about, if you really practice this stuff, then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And the word know is not a cognitive memory. It's an experience. We've gone through a process. So now what I'm trying to do, damn it, let's stop. Let's give it back to, I'm not, ugh, don't even get me started. I believe in professional help. I'm, I got a shingle out, right? Sometimes, as Second Peter 1 says, people have have developed knowledge deep in an area. We got a financial problem, a pastor can help them with the budget, but they might need a CPA. There are areas where psychologists, good Christian and other psychologists have studied PTSD. They know how to rewire the hippocampus. They know how to go deep. And my friend can't do that. But we got to stop thinking that only the professionals can do all of these processes that are healing and give those back to the church. Why can't the church have them as well? Why can't instead of just preaching the word, why can't we get people together and weep with those who weep? As First Thessalonians 5 said, says, let's heal the brokenhearted. I want to hear about how you betray, how you were betrayed. And my pastor has set up a room on Wednesday nights at seven, and we're gonna get here, and I want to hear about how you were betrayed and how you were the 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 object of you know abuse or you know adultery or racism or poverty. Tell me about that. I want to cry with you about that. And all of these processes, let's get them back to let the body do in its work, as Ephesians 4 says, that the body heals itself as each part does its work. So, Michelle, you've asked such an important question because, because I want my friends to pray with me. It says to pray with me. It says to let's go to the word. But when the word says we got to be doing some stuff together, all these one another's, let's pastors make some spaces for people to do that. And let's equip people. So when I go call my friend and say, will you pray with me about I'm not feeling well, I'm scared. We've equipped the friend to say, yes, I will. And let me tell you some stuff that's going to help that because I'm learning what the word says to do with that. And it's more than just pray and memorize. And let's equip this body to do its work, to heal people. And I'm sorry I got on a pedestal, but you've asked the most important question I think we can ask. Because there aren't enough therapy rooms out there for what's going to be knocking at y'all's door in 90 days. A, and B, I want you also to gather together the army of professionals in your city around you and get a good network because there are going to be some stuff that needs deeper knowledge than the lay people have. There's medical issues. There's bipolar issues. There's clinical depression that needs prescriptions. There's other prescriptions that they're getting for anxiety that they need to get off of. Because some GP has given it to them and they need a good psychiatrist that will help you to do that. You need to have somebody with hospitalization privileges in case, you know, there's suicidality. You probably need some 
an army of people know how to deal with addictions and there's a real 20 year recovered addict that can do the intervention with you and talk to the person and drag them to a meeting. I am pro professional, pro professional. I'm also pro the body of Christ doing things that we've kind of thought only the professionals can do. And when I was in practice, Every patient I had, I would want to make sure that they got their spiritual community reinforcing and doing the deep dive and supporting and everything I'm doing. So, yeah, sorry about the long answer, but you hit it. That's okay. I I do think, I mean, probably everybody on this call, we, we're pastors. We pray, we, we speak into things and, and, get that and we understand that I do think sometimes things go beyond that and there are some things that are that are not just spiritual but they are physical as well just like you were saying that's right some things that require those professionals absolutely and I hope you hear me agree all I'm saying is that as pastors if you could find a few people in your church that have a heart maybe they Maybe they have overcome sexual abuse or they've overcome depression or they've overcome an addiction or whatever. If you can find a couple of people that they can like take the churches that heal material or take, you know, start, start, you know, bring a good 12 step ministry in the church or whatever. I'm not saying that you have to do that, this, but as a shepherd, we've got to be organizing an army that know somebody we can on our speed dial, you know, Mary over here is really depressed. I want you to meet, you know, I want you to call her and they can say, you know, on Wednesday night, we got to do this. But pastor also said, you need to go see a psychologist as well. So we can, it's a both end. Yeah. I, I was just curious to know, like when, when do I know when I need to do that? Like you understood that you needed to go, and see some, and actually work through that stuff. And so I'm just, I'm just wondering what are some of the indicators. But uh, it was that sounds like a longer question. When the arena is spinning around like a merry-go-round, I thought, "Crap, am I?" That's a hint. Quote my little verse and helping me. That's a hint. That's a little hint. Okay, so I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna say this, and. Some of you are going to resonate with this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait. I would want, you know, Navy SEALs have buddies, right? Um, For a number of years, I did a leadership thing for the WCA where we take 25 leaders at a time up on Lake Michigan. We take an evening and a full day. And we do this about six times a year. And we would have, um, you know, 25 at a time. So I, I, it was a good time to, to do some research. I did a questionnaire. First night, I would ask them, how many of you have a place you can go as pastors, a relationship, a therapist, or a professional, or a mentor, or a coach, or somebody that you can go that's 100% confidential, 100%, and that person is a stake, is not a stakeholder in anything you can do, they don't work for you. They're not even in the church where you can be 100% honest and talk about what's going on with you. 80% of those pastors said, I don't have a place like that. Next question. 
how many of you have a relationship that's 100% dedicated to your development and coaching and mentoring you as a, as a leader? 80% said, I don't have anything like that. Next question. How many of you would say you've got something going on in your life, depression, stress, anxiety, addictions, fear, panic, relationship, marriage, whatever, that you would say has gotten to clinical proportions in the last year? Guess what the number was? 80%. Okay, and I want you to contrast that with one of the churches I worked with. They had a pastor. He just retired a couple of years ago. I, I, I tell you, it's Mariners in, in Orange County. He was there for 30 years. Great run, all sorts of stuff. The Board of Elders, 30 years ago, they have a committee, reports to the Board of Elders, and the committee's mission is the care and well-being and development of the senior pastor. On that committee is a psychiatrist, a psychologist, two former senior pastors, and an HR, a former CEO, and an and, and, uh HR uh, leader from a company. That committee oversees the health and well-being of the senior pastor. Now they they get other people to do the work, but they 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 engineer it and they report to the board of elders. Okay, so I'm saying this to say this: How do we know? Well, the best way to know is because I've already making sure I've got a primary doc in my life, <laughs> and if it comes up. They're going to spot it, but I'm staying well because I'm not trying to be pouring life out of me without, without taking care of myself. That doesn't have to be professional, but it's got to be somewhere, but it may get to that place. So I want you to look at in depression. Okay. Just Google the symptoms. You know, your mood is negative and it kind of doesn't get better for. A, you know, significant period of time. It doesn't really fluctuate with, with what's going on. In other words, the thing that normally would make me happy or give me cheer or lift my spirits. I've got anhedonia. I've got the inability to feel good. Doesn't matter, you know, it's whether my kids used to make me happy. They don't anymore. My marriage, my work, I'm kind of down. My mood is down. Secondly, how's my energy levels? Okay. How's my sleep? How's my appetite? How's my libido? How's my thinking? If I'm having negative thinking, hopeless thinking, all of my thoughts are negative. That's part of the illness. The illness will produce the negative thinking. A lot of times, you know, people get suicidal. People will think, how could they, how could they make that choice? Many times they didn't make the choice. The illness made the choice. It was producing that thinking. It's like when somebody has a delusion and they see the goblins coming after them, the illness is doing the thinking. So watch for those symptoms, negativity you can't get out of and mood and sleep and all that, or anxiety that doesn't give way to our normal stress relief. When we exercise, we don't feel better. When we sit down and pray and when we go through meditation, when we talk to a friend, okay, all of those, it's time to get some help. Secondly, when I find my functioning beginning to get interrupted, if I can't be there for my family, okay, or if what I'm getting from my family isn't helping my functioning, okay, or my friends, functioning levels is a key indicator. 
when I'm staring at the computer screen instead of making the calls, when I can't get out of bed, when I withdraw and start to self-medicate, all of those signs, it doesn't go up from there. Now we're on a downward spiral. And if there's nothing to break the fall, time, what you're talking about is a pus wound that you're giving time to an infection. Time doesn't cure all things. I don't know who said that, but they never looked at an abscess tooth. Let's just give it a couple of weeks. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Time plus grace, bringing it unmerited favor, but antibiotics that the tooth can't produce on its own, that's called grace. <laughs> not just absence of condemnation, but favor that it can't produce. And truth, we got to have somebody that shows up that knows what to know what to do with an abscess tooth. Now you get the dentist who has some knowledge, some truth, and they got some grace to shoot in there with some pills. <laughs> and then we're going to give it some time. Those things will act over time, and in three days I'm well. But just giving it time is not going to help. That's good. Yeah, that's really good, Henry. I um, I think you, you've given me so many things or asked so many things to think about from personal, and I don't think I'm alone in this. Like, it's as a as a leader, I find it sometimes easier to get a sense intuitively of where our church is, easier than it is a sense of getting where I'm actually at. <laughs> like feeling wise. And so to be, you don't have time, right? Yeah. I, and, and it's, um, but you've, you've given some really helpful things and some of it's just my own personality and my own, you know, uh, I guess brokenness in my own life. But, uh, so this has really been helpful. Uh, uh, I gotta say one more thing about the brokenness because it's going to apply to some of you yeah. and uh, Michelle, it's going to apply to some of you, some of the people that are calling you, you know, when you say, you know, to try to minister to as best we can, that sometimes people are having a response and, and when to get help, Michelle, again, that same kind of idea. Sometimes we're trying to help with what's going on now. And like Chuck, you know, you're saying that, how you're feeling now. Well, we've also got to ask the question of, is this triggering something that's never been dealt with that they're bringing to this moment. And some of the people you, you're finding, I'm not really helping them. I need more help. They might need a professional in here is this moment is triggering unprocessed moments that they're walking around with. I'll give you a quick example with me. Another story in 2001, you know, I had to go back to Wall Street, I, I'm sorry, to New York um, within days of the attack, you know, because I work with leaders, right? And there's all of this having to pour myself out like you guys are having to do. And, and I, I get off the plane, for example, and they say, okay, you start speaking tonight. Here's your schedule. I go, where, what am I talking about? You're talking about a Christian, a Judeo-Christian response to the event of the last few days. I go, great. Who am I talking to? And they say, they kind of paused. They looked at me and said, sorry about this, but it's the 130 United Nations ambassadors from the Islamic bloc of nations. So these are all the, all the, the Islamic bloc of nations, UN gathering 
at the UN, all those people, I got to give the Judeo-Christian response to what just happened. And it was a week like that. I mean, I was out of my mind trying to, you know, so, so all this, you know, for, I don't know, the better part of a month, it's just like you, it's just, just pouring out. Well, I came back and I think, oh, I'm tired, you know, I'm going to rest. <laughs> and all of a sudden one night, about a week later, I woke up in the middle of the night like this and I was in a black hole that I, again, I'm a psychologist, right? I go, this is not normal. And this is not from the last month. This is bigger than that. I don't know what this is. And that's another time I call somebody smart enough to kind of figure that out. And what had happened was something had gotten triggered. And it was from really... I'll tell you, I mean, it's, you know, when I was almost four years old, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a normal, healthy kid. Then all of a sudden I had a hip disease and was stricken with extreme pain. And that day they told me you can't walk anymore. And I went in a wheelchair for two years or better part of two years, wheelchair braces. Point being that for a three-year-old or four-year-old, which all of a sudden you can't walk for the rest of your life. Point being, in a day, your world changed, right? There was something about 9-11 in the way that it changed our world that triggered stuff I had never really processed in my brain of life has changed and it'll never be the same. And I never had fully, even though I'd, Worked on that some before. I never, there was more left. So it got triggered. You're going to be talking to some people that COVID or the riots and the racism, you know, or the murder, that's going to trigger stuff they've gone through. Especially if they've been victims of racism, they're going to be triggered, a lot of them. And so look for that too. What what is what we're going through now? What's the meaning of that to you? And how's that hurting you? I want to hear that. I want to care about that. I want to listen to that and entering into that space. Yeah, that's really good. Um, we have some questions coming in for people too, but, um, and we're going to get to as many of those as we can. Um, let, let me ask you, Henry, real quick to, uh, maybe offer some thoughts. So you, you mentioned uh, getting above, uh, I use the phrase getting above the fray uh, to our leaders, you know, and uh, thinking on a larger perspective. But what, what we end up being in right now is it seems like just, you know, that, that, that trap we can all fall into of the tyranny of everybody else's urgent. Right. And as a leader, it's hard to differentiate to be able to lead the way that the whole needs and you get sucked into microcosms of different things, maybe right. even specific issues that are happening in the day, right? On in, in, and in our world, from day to day, those issues change. So do you have a couple of like, yeah. um, and we're going to get to some of this panelist stuff too, but do you have a couple of, let's just call them life hacks for us as leaders to be able to manage some of that, to not yeah. always be so reactive? Yeah, it's a really, really important question in a crisis. 
Um, <clears throat> let me give you an analogy <laughs> or an example. Um, we were having a party one day. I'll never forget this. And it was before I had kids and a, a, a buddy of mine had five, like under five. I think there were two set, either one set of twins and three more or two sets of twins and another one. And he brought them on. We're having this party and, and we're sitting down, you know, we're, we're over on the patio having a beer and all, you know, the kids are, and you hear this like, like screaming. The kid fell out of the hammock or something. And it, it, it was one of his, I said, Dan, your kid. And he looked at him and he said, he said, no, man, I don't get up. I, I don't get up if I'm seeing a move or unless I see blood. And he just goes back to our conversation. Point being, there was a, a system in his head of triage. Okay. In a crisis, if you go to an emergency room, and this is what the first thing you've got to get in your mind in response to that life hack need, you've got to get in your mind there is, and look at the word is, that's immovable. There is more need right now than I can get to. All right? Don't take the next step until you are comfortable with that reality. When I say comfortable, I don't mean that we like it. I mean that we've accepted it, so we're not in the moment pushing against it and protesting and it, calling us to action. Because if you accept it, then and not until then, can you be proactive, like Chuck is saying, to get above it? It's going to pull you down. Okay? So Dan's not getting out of that chair because he's accepted. I can't go to every screen that my kid. Are you kidding me? Okay, so we got to... Get in Moses' head now. I can't listen to all the disputes and solve all the problems of all the people, all right? Nor can the church, all right? There's more than you can. So let's accept that first. Then what you've got to do as a leader is you've got to look at, first of all, let's divide this to two sets of eyes. What do I need to do right now for sustainability so the essence of who we are and our identity and our stakeholders and who we minister to, we are in preservation mode first, okay? Every CEO I've talked to globally was that when it first hit, and I could not believe some of these, that they owed little old me. I had sent them an invoice. I got calls from from big companies that said, you know, if it's okay, we're going to hold off in paying you for last quarter until May because we're preserving cash right now. I go, are you kidding me? You're a, tens of billions of dollars, and I'm sitting here hammering out by the hour. <laughs> really? <laughs> All of them said one thing. Right now, we're only focusing on preserving cash and sustainability and protecting the business. All right? So once you realize you're prioritizing in a triage, okay? So then you go to what are the elements that preserve the essence of who we are? There's a financial piece of that. There's a staffing piece of that. There's a ministry piece of that. There's a, you know, so get a few priorities and then think from there, 
how can I make my team understand these are the priorities? What does priority mean? It doesn't mean we don't care. It means prior. Priorities. Priorities. <laughs> First. Before. Before we do anything else, we make sure we're preserving the essence of who we are and what we need to attend to. Okay? So let's just list those few priorities. Then we're going to list the activities of how we're going to address those. Then you as the leader, and you got to infect your team with this. My, if I'm the general, I don't think in these priorities, I don't think well, the priorities is, you know, ISIS is crashing the south wall. The, the, the boats are hitting the shore. I don't think I got to go run into this. I got to no, what I do is I organize my army to go organize the troops. So you've got to get above it in thinking, number one, what's what's preservation and what are the priorities? And to do those, how do I engage the talent around me to go do those? The brain doesn't walk across the room. The brain engages the arms and legs and puts the team together and sends it to carry it over to walk. See, your brain can't walk anywhere. You're the brain. You're the head. The head, as Ephesians says, it's the organizes the body. So those are your above the fray priorities. What needs to be stabilized? What are the priorities to do that? What are the activities that need to be done? How am I going to engage the talent? Okay. Then the next thing you do is you, you what you've done in that is you, you've set them down and you've given them a clear plan. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to deviate from this plan until we do. Okay. Then we're going to have very, very short measurement and accountability on the plan. That's what we're going to do here above the fray. So we said, okay, 15 elders are going to call 15 pastors twice a week. That's our plan. Let's execute it. We, we got the talent. What do we do? Every Thursday, we're going to have a call. Did everybody do it? How's it going? If it's not happening, what's broken? So we're going to have measurement systems to know, A, are we doing the plan? And if we're not, we got to find out why it may be more. It may be missed talent. It may be whatever. Let's find out why and fix that. Or we're doing it and we're not getting the results. We thought, well, we need to adjust the plan, but we can't do that if we're not measuring. So what have I said? You've got to figure out the sustainability strategy, right? Or, you know, priorities, the plan. You got to engage the talent and you got to quickly hold people accountable to that plan and measure it and, and see if it's working and adapt if it's not. Hold on. You're not done. <laughs> you're not done. Your job is way harder than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, We're listening. We're listening. Okay. You are air traffic control. So what I just told you was I got to – I'm getting an alert here. Let me – let me make sure LA is not blowing up. No, they're just telling me we can't go outside. What does air traffic control do? I just told you you got to look at what's going on right now. 
what are the planes that are landing now? I've got to direct those, right? What does air traffic control do? Just focus on today? No. I got United Flight 91 200 miles out there. So you as leader, you're focusing on today. You put that hat on. Then you get your team together, and we're going to put on, let's do the tomorrow hat. What do we look like a month, 60 days, 90 days, a year out? The churches that are doing that are finding this is a great opportunity to realize a lot of this going into this crisis, a lot of this stuff we were doing that we had to drop because they weren't the highest priority, we're finding out we're not taking those into the future. We're pruning that. I guarantee you when we come out of this, me as a consultant, I bet you anything I'm getting on less airplanes because teams I work with have discovered, crap, we can do this by Zoom call. We don't have to fly across the country. There's going to be practices that go into the future, but you got to get your future hat on as well. Thirdly, from where you sit, life hack, get out of your closed system. You and your team are great and you're brilliant, and that's just true. That's why you're there. But open the system and get with other small settings, big settings like this. Get with other people that are in this fight too. Find out what they're doing. Share with them. Open up the system to new energy and new intelligence that's outside of your loop and also outside of the church world. You can learn some things from other industries because the essence of what they do is very much like what you do, and we can learn from them. So you as the, as the pastor are the only one that's thinking at this level. So that's like five or six hacks that I would would be doing. That's really good at this time because we we have this. Um, there's so much happening that those are really really practical for us. Um, I don't know, Michelle. You want to start getting? Yeah. These? Related to that, I was looking at one of the questions that we had, and it says, it says, uh, guy can't like. There's such good questions. I want to like pick all of them at the same time. So let's just do them in order. What are the top three practical clinical practices pastors can adopt in their care for congregants that are foundational for clinicians? Um, <clears throat> if I'm understanding that right. Now, what I'm not telling you to do, you know, I'm not telling don't practice medicine without a license. Clinical people aren't needed. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, like you're saying, this is a really, really good point. That I would say the top it depends on what malady we're talking about, right? But l- let me give you three really good ones that are going to go through all of them. Right? Okay. If you go to the doctor, they might, you know, and you got a cold versus a flu versus, you know, whatever. They're going to do some specific stuff that you wouldn't do, but all of them, for all of them, they're going to say, make sure you get some sleep, stay hydrated. So I'm giving you those, right? Okay. Okay, number one, what did I say was the most powerful medicine we have against every single problem that the body, mind, and spirit go through is an empathic connection, number one. So what can a pastor do? 
they can tell somebody, you know what? You, you gotta be talking about this. I want to hear about it. And I want to put you with some people that want to hear about it. We don't give answers first. What we give first is connection because connection changes the brain to be able to utilize the answers. The Bible says, the great neurology textbook, Proverbs, (laughs) he who gives an answer before he listens is a fool. Okay? For a number of reasons. When a hostage negotiator goes into the bank building with the 12 hostages and the guy with the vest on with the bomb, he doesn't go give them the truth. You know what? This is a stupid guy. Don't blow this up. Yeah, you don't want to do this. It's going to be a mess. You know, if you live through it, you're going to prison. It doesn't do that. What he does is, so I'm Henry. They sent me in to talk to you. What, what's your name? So, Mark, how, tell me what what's going on. How, how did we get here today? Tell, tell me what's happening. And they start to listen. And they go, you lost your job? Man, that's, tell me what happened when you lost your job. How'd that affect your kids? What'd they do to you? Gradually, every system in the body, when it is asking number one, and this is what churches need to know above everything, the most fundamental wiring that God has put into all of us, and it goes all the way down your spinal column to your gut, to your physical Make up to your intuition, to your psyche. The number one question the system is asking at every moment is one question. Number one, before anything else, am I safe? Am I safe? I'll show you how fundamental this is. How many of you have been breathing for the last 30 seconds? (laughs) You know why? Because your system is wired to let you trust the air. But if you got a toxic fume for a second, you go and you'd hold your breath and you'd back off. If they don't feel safe, the system is not moving towards. It's moving away. That's good. Yeah, yeah that's really good, Henry. Can no, I? Churches got to provide a safe place. Yeah. It's one. Go yeah, I, I got two I, more. <laughs> yeah, we, we, the question is for two more. Uh, yeah, I don't want to stop you, but I, I did want to. Yeah, I don't want to stop you if you got two more. Maybe one more. Well, once I make it safe, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to connect with what I'm hearing. Okay, and as I hear that, I'm going to begin to help them to put some words to it. And words in three categories. What they're feeling, what what the content is, number one, what they're feeling about it, number two, and what the consequences of that are. Oh my gosh, you lost your job when Corona hit? That's got to be really scary. And 
You're worried about it and you can't provide for your kids. What did I do? I just put words to it, which begins to be the first step, not only in understanding, but the first step of them being able to observe what's happening. And once we're observing something, we're less in it. And once we're less in it, the higher regions of the brain kick in where we're processing it. Okay. So we're going to provide safety. We're going to be listeners first and we're going to take what we're understanding and we're going to try to add some meaning to that. And then a pastor, we're talking about at the pastoral level here. I mean, sometimes that's all you got to do. I mean, they're just, they just, what are you going to do if they just lost somebody and they're dead? You can't bring them back, you know, after, I don't, I don't know what the time limit on when Jesus raised him, but at some point they're coming in a year later and the guy's in the ground, probably not going to bring him back. There's some window in there. We know that's done. We just got to bring out the grief, right? But then we're also, the third thing is, when we understand the meaning, we're going to try to add a little structure and kind of be able to compartmentalize that a little bit and say, okay, so this is this painful. You know, maybe we need to go find a place where you can, you can go talk about this and, and, and maybe this is the place that maybe you can talk about it somewhere else, but also let's, Let's also think about some, what are some things we can do? What helps you feel better? So you give them some things that they actually can. This is all at the pastoral level, the friend level. Okay, I've heard you. We got it. You're okay. Make sure they're safe. You know, they're not suicidal or anything like that. Or they need to make a referral. But then what we're going to do is, we're going to observe, then I want you to kind of do what we've done here when you're having these thoughts and feelings. What did we do? We got above it. We started to think about it. And here's some scriptures that we can apply to that. We're going to teach them a little mindfulness. So we're going to process this. And I want you to, when you have this feeling, let's write down the verses that we're going to start to dispute that with. Or let's talk about the steps we can take to lean into that fear. You feel afraid and you find you withdrawn from your family. What's a, here's a third hack. What's a, a micro step that you can take? I know it's too big to go to the church gathering, but could you text somebody and start a chat about how you're feeling? Could you maybe pick up the phone? Let's figure out the smallest step that they can take towards whatever direction we're trying to take them in. So support with listening and empathy, getting above it so we're not scared of it anymore and we're observing it, understanding the meanings, and then taking some micro step. Those are pretty good quick interventions. Uh, that's really, really helpful. Um, and maybe combining that with a question or two that's come in. Um, I think that's really helpful for people that have had maybe bad experiences with the church in general, that we're trying to, they don't feel like the church is a healing place per se. Uh, those are good steps we could take as leaders towards that end, but also in the heightened. Um, the, the tagline um, for, for churches that heal 
what we came up with when we started developing this program is our vision is to help a church become a place where hurting people run towards instead of away from. Yeah, that's good. That's we don't really want good. people running away from, and the primary thing about it, that is safety. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really helpful for that. Those are really practical things for that question that came in. Um, but let me let me just jump to to this. Like in this time, you have, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't want to derail us at all, but I think it's in line with where we're at. We have people that are um, like the black community, white community, and people in the white community. This is this stress. This maybe even knowledge. This reality is new to us or newer to us. Maybe some of us are just catching on when a different, the black community has been living in a space for a long time. Right. And now you have this polarized, let's say church uh, in general of trying to, the place for those of us that are trying are way behind in the learning, uh, the experience part of something. And maybe race is just the, the, uh, the example that we're in right now, but maybe it's broader than that. When I, when I, it's not broader. I don't want to dilute this issue by saying broader, but what's going on in this issue. Yes. Is the same human dynamic that operates in other issues as well, which is divisive polarization. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the dynamic. Yeah, that's that's I'm not surprised. That's way better said than I would say it. But um, it's, it's somebody that, you know, even in leadership, when you're kind of behind the curve on something and you're trying to catch up and try to minister to people that are further down, at least on the experiential level, what what are some things that we can do to kind of um, uh, bridge that? gap or maybe break down some of the polarization when you're on, you know, the, the inexperienced side. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it does make sense. It's, um, it is, um, it is the highest, I think it's the highest call in some ways, one of the highest calls. Why don't I say that? I always hate those statements. Say the number one, you know, it's kind of like, sort of like a, a woman said to me, what's the, if there's one thing you can tell parents, I go, well, there's not one thing, you know, well, if there's one thing, no, but if I tell them not to ask about one thing, that's what I tell them. Cause it's like saying, what do you want? Water, air or food? I mean, they're all important, but one of the most important things that a leader always has to do. Always, 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 if you can keep this this in your head, you are a minister of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling all things unto himself, and he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Okay. So what we're talking about is, is part of reconciling is to bring things back together that were divided. The very last verse of the Old Testament, everybody knows it, that Elisha will come 
and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children, the hearts of the children. Back, there's this divide. Okay. So, the most destructive dynamic, the most, I'm going to almost say the most, is what we call the divisive, the word divisive, we use divisive. In fact, Paul says, reject a divisive person after a second warning. The strategy, dark straight, is always to divide. Because if I can divide, then I can show up. What have I got? I've divided, and now I've got a victim and a rescue, a victim and a perpetrator, and I'm going to show up and be the rescuer. But that's further division, right? And you see it on both sides of any debate. This isn't this one I'm talking about, you know. What a reconciler does is get above the division and not further divide, but bring them together. So if you see one side will stand up and they'll say, you're being, you're being victimized by this group. I'm going to come in and help you. Exactly on the other side, they say the same thing. You're being victimized by the protesters. I'm going to come in and clamp them. And, you know, it's, it's just division, 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 division. So what, what we've got to do, and remember what I said earlier, that, and especially um, in this one, especially, the most important first step here, the most important, is that we have got to make sure, like you're saying, that everyone wakes up and realizes people that have been the victims of racism, they're not making this up, guys. This is real. (laughs) You might not have experienced it where you come from, or you might want to say, get over it or whatever. But we got to listen because this is real. People have been significantly wounded. And this is never going to get better until we start to listen to each other. And that's where it's got to start. And if you notice the ministers out there of reconciliation and various leadership, and I've been listening to, you know, hear uh, different, you know, like mayors or police chiefs or whatever. You, the good ones, you will hear them always. They lead with empathy and they lead with understanding. And so, what you're saying to get to get the white community to you can model this. What you just said, you know, I don't know if you did this on purpose, Chuck, or if you're aware you did it. I don't mean on purpose, I mean aware. But but you said maybe some of us are just now beginning to, I think that kind of modeling of that we, the leader saying, we all have so much to learn here, guys. 
we all have so much to learn. Let's stop. Let's stop fighting each other and let's sit down. Like God says, let's sit down. Come, let's reason together. Let's hear each other's stories. And so one of the most powerful things that you can do, you're talking about the white community and, you know, the black community, is, is when we, when we, when we get them together to start hearing some stories and find out when we hear each other's experiences, the humanity realizes I'm not different. There's something in me that connects with that pain. See, we start to find our common humanity because we started to listen to somebody's pain. Okay. So the, I think that we can, you know, to the whites, right? If, if we just play with that divide a little bit, they don't know what this experience is like. And I think we need to create, um, Places and experiences where they have the opportunity to really get up and close. It's sort of like when we went to the developing world. I mean, you know, what? it's not just racism, it's poverty. I mean, you go and you look at, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through the day since those compassion trips and something's like bugging me or stressing me out. And I think back to, think back to that kid, that seven year old, who went and protected his father from the, and I was, it was getting mugged. You know, I go, I don't have it. Hey, what's wrong with me? Because we got up close. So I think that's really important. And then what you see with the reconcilers, and there's this is so difficult to do, but we have to do it. I'm just use this as, as the example, but it's true about this whole dynamic everywhere is what you see here is there is, there's pain and legitimate protesting of pain, right? Martin Luther King won the battle or made headway in the battle because he legitimately protested the pain in a way that didn't create more pain. That's the way of the cross. Mm. He didn't deny the issue. He stood up for justice. But his hallmark was peaceful overcoming of pain. And one of the sad things about this is to listen to the real protesters say our message is being drowned out because of some of the, you know, the senseless stuff that's going on. And so it's a tough thing to do to say, I heard a a great African-American, he's the, uh, police chief of, chief of Detroit, and he's done a really good job at containing it all back there. But he's black, and and he lived through the L.A. riots in, in the Rodney King years. And and he just – he had the art of saying um, we're against 
racism is not welcome here and we will stand up against it, against it and we will prevent it and we want to hear and we want to, you know, protest. We're also against, you know, hurting people and destroying property and, you know, illegal acts and we will stop that as well. And that's a tough thing because you sometimes it gets interpreted as you don't care about the you don't care about the protest. You do, but it's it's you know this is throughout 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 the Levitical law. You know when God was laying down all this stuff, He was He always and I never quite understood this. Um, actually, I until I started working with destructive families where there was division. But he said, he said, don't pervert justice. He said, there's two ways we pervert justice. He said, don't defer to the great and powerful. Call it like you see it, like it is. You know, this police, these police officers, just because they're powerful, they're wrong. They're murderers. Okay. Just because you're white didn't get you off. You're going to jail. Okay. Don't defer to the great and powerful. And then it says, and this is the part I never understood. It says, nor, uh, nor defer to the weak or needy for your, you know, to not pervert justice. In other words, so if I'm, you know, I started work, working with, with, you know, families where there's real abuse and somebody's hurt. Sometimes the acting out keeps them, it turns them into an enemy and it, it, it keeps it going. And so your pain has got to be heard, but the pain's got to be expressed in a way that doesn't create, it doesn't have the appearance of now you're the perpetrator. No, you're the victim here. And so a leader that can say, we, we want to help and we're going to do this the right way and be transcendent in that and provide experiences to hear each other and everybody transcend it and get above it to integrate it together. That's kind of the, that's kind of what we have to do. And it's very hard to do that. The second part of that, because what, will happen, it happens if you're following all this, is that, that we can't let other people get victimized as well, right? I, I'm looking at these neighborhoods in L.A. where these little shop owners that have worked their whole lives to eke out, the, and, and, and their life is gone. It's been burned down. And that doesn't help either. You know, it's like even, you know, the Floyd family are saying, look, the, the destruction's not going to help. We got to heal. We can't create more destruction. So one of the things I would do is I would watch the messaging of other leaders. I would watch the mayors and I'd really, as a student where you guys said, um, and, and when you listen to them and ask, are they having the needed empathy and are they having 
the let's call each other to a higher ground message and not do something destructive? Are they able to do those well and watch how the good ones are doing it? And you're also going to see how the ones that aren't doing it are not doing it. And that's one of the helpful things. And and I would want to go to Michelle and say, and ask, you know, what does that sound like to you? Because you've got an experience with this. I'm, I'm sure that's a little, little different than ours, right? Well, I, I don't know that it's necessarily different. I, I do think a couple of things. One thing is, and Chuck and I were talking about this earlier, I think that the gospel stands and speaks to all sides of every conversation. That's right. But it is not owned by any one you know, side of any conversation. And I think that that, that, that matters a whole lot. Um, as I'm listening, a, a couple of things kind of prick my ear. And one of them is when, when, when King dealt with the pain of racism and when, when he walked into that with, with his nonviolent, um, his nonviolent stance, I think it's important to, to note that it wasn't so that you don't cause more pain. It hurts to do this hard work. And, oh. it, and it's a different, it's a different kind of pain, right. but it's pain. And I think that even Jesus going to the cross, absolutely. He went to the cross, but now we carry our crosses and it's got to cost us something. So oh, I think, yeah. Yeah. I think I that, that if I clarify, so, I was just meaning that the, he, he didn't bomb stuff and burn stuff down. But but I just I but in that, even even looking at that, I think that what we tend to do is we jump so quickly from from here's the racism and then here's the looting and the rioting and this is the response to the to the you know to the murder of this guy. And then I think what happens is is sometimes we move so quickly to there that it begins to look to people like what we're saying is property matters as much as people. And I know that you're not saying that I'm saying that that's, that's what ends up getting, getting heard and getting seen. And I think it's important when, when Chuck was talking about being behind the curve on a lot of things, there's a, there's a, 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 a Western mindset that almost assumes we are entitled to answers and understanding in a lot of areas. And sometimes there are no answers and sometimes there's no understanding, but sometimes we have to ask the very people who are experiencing the pain exactly what what is going on so that we don't just say, I understand how you feel. I think the church has to go beyond that too. I feel what you feel because that is what Jesus did. So that, that's my thought, but I want to, no, what it, I want to do. Before you go to the net, net, go ahead. I want to really, really emphasize that because, because I kind of um, skipped over it quickly. I think that, that I want to just really highlight what, what you said is the first, the first and the deepest and, and by far the deepest is the first one, exactly what you said of hearing the pain, or it does sound like, Property, man, you know, we, we saw that if you take it out of this issue, just, just take it back to Corona. You know, what you, you saw the, what are you saying that, that, you know, the economy matters as much as, you know, people dying. And that, that's exactly, you're exactly right. If we don't go deep on 
really what does matter most, right? And hear the pain first and deeply and longly. And feel that pain. And experientially. It's, yeah, it's not it. enough to just know it, but you gotta, you gotta get in there. And if you don't, then the stuff you were talking about earlier, making those connections, listening, finding meaning, structure around the meaning, that's the work we got to do. All right. And, and it's kind of like, um, and, and back to the work, the way that I think you guys can think about this is, it's what I said earlier, you've got to get people up and close to where they do feel it as they're listening to somebody across the circle from them tell of their experience because then they're going to feel it. And that's when I said, you know, the difference is you start to really feel it. And you don't do that without getting up close and personal and yeah. getting like and going to Ethiopia or going to the Dominican Republic and, and sitting there in the poverty, in the pain of somebody that's experienced, you know, what you're talking about. And being so that, willing to let those people pastor you through those things. We're, we're real good at going places and going, oh, my gosh, you know, they have so little, but they actually have more than we have. Hey. And, you know, Michelle, and I, I got to tell you, my favorite quote from the compassion trip, so I, I think it was, I might have been one of the people that they ministered to. I think it's where this came from. Here's what they said. You know, some people are so poor, all they have is a lot of money. That's what you're saying. They're pastoring us. They're teaching us. A, a friend in Kenya actually called it the American sin of independence. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Michelle, before you, before you kind of ask the last question, because um, I want to be, you know, Sorry, Henry, we're going long. I, I, you seem like you're really enjoying yourself, though. So we're just going to go a couple minutes longer. But on that same point, oh, earlier on. Boy, when I talk to Michelle, but what switches back to you is different, Chuck. <laughs> I had a week of that, man. Come on. Yeah. Well, well let's go back. I'm going to go back to Michelle because earlier, Michelle, on that same note with Henry's quote or whatever, you had said something to me, and maybe you could just finish our time before maybe we ask one last practical question but you mentioned something about how race and economy are i don't know how you worded it but you 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 basically said smaller issues and you were you were getting bigger in our conversation can you no michelle was just just that we this is about the kingdom at the end of the day and the economy and race issues they they're not unimportant and they don't not matter but until and unless the church as a whole gets on a kingdom page none of the other stuff is going to matter you can you can deal with racism you can deal with the economy you can deal with covid-19 you can deal with each one of those and lose the kingdom but as the church if we don't deal with the kingdom if we don't have that kingdom mindset you get all of the rest of it if you go kingdom, if you if you actually see, if you want to see God's kingdom come, you can't avoid justice. If you want to see God's kingdom come, you can't avoid healing. If you want to see God's kingdom come, you cannot avoid being compassionate or caring or loving people. But if we start to to pretend like it's it's just all about making sure people are comfortable and happy and it's not always going to be safe. 
it's not always going to be safe. And, you know, but if we deal with kingdom, then we allow the spirit and we allow God to get to all of these things. And we cannot avoid justice if we deal with kingdom. Yeah, I just think that's so good, Michelle, of getting above everything that, you know, just a, a great perspective on it. Um, I don't know. Do we want to ask one more question? Just one more. It's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a really quick, easy one for you. Um, who are you reading or listening to that has recently informed and shaped your own formation and growth toward healing, wholeness, and integrity? That might be a bigger question than it sounds. Yeah, say it again. Um, who are you reading or listening to that has recently informed and shaped your own formation and growth toward healing, wholeness, and integrity? Well, most recently, um, when I say most recently, I'm going to say within the last two years probably. Um, And it kind of goes back to what you just said about kingdom uh, mindset. I have been just in my, if you just take the personal, you know, spiritual formation part of the pie. um, I've been spending most of my time reading up close and personal experiences of of the people who take the kingdom into the worst of the worst of the worst settings. People like um, and and it, a lot of evangelicals would say, you know, are crazy and way out there. Um, but like Heidi Baker is one. Have you ever read her? Mm-mm. So Heidi Baker is, um, she got smitten in the spirit in Laguna Beach at 16 and was like unconscious for a while. And God came and like did something in here and t- told her she was going to be a missionary and go to, you know, go to, to Africa and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, she left and went there and had nothing and, uh, the church planting and everything that they've done in the poorest of the poor and, but taking a real kingdom message where with everything in tow, the healings, the, the feedings of thousands when all she had was a loaf of bread. I mean, literal multiplication of food. Wow. The dead being raised. These are happening kind of all over the world. So I'm, I'm hanging out in that another place. I'm hanging out a lot Two two other places that I've done a lot of reading in this. It's the conversion experiences of Muslims that's going on around the world. And there's a, the theme in there is supernatural that Jesus is appearing. But secondly, that there's always a Christian that has been loving them that's done the pre-work. So when Jesus appears, they, he sends them to that person. 
and they've gotten out of trying to talk them into the gospel and they're just living among them and they're loving them. And so it's, it's, it's the loving, it's the loving that's winning and people that you're not going to talk into this. <laughs> and it's, it's the bringing of the kingdom that go tell them the dead are being raised, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, all of that. And then the third group, because I mean, I live in Beverly Hills. <laughs> So I just live in conversions of Jews. And I've been in in that world for, you know, deep a couple of years. And so most of my spiritual reading, I think the last thing I need at this juncture is, is more, more theological crap of somebody explaining a new way to say the same thing in a three-point outline, you know, God's good, you're bad, try harder. It, it just, I just, you know, there, there, you start to, you start to, you start to see a lot of what comes out of, and I, I am an evangelical. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not. You're not walking. I'm not spanking anybody or above them, but, but there, you know, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the ones that didn't believe in the supernatural in the spirit world. The Pharisees were the ones that had a truth oriented, religious, external, yeah. religious practices way of being spiritual. And, you just start to start to see that. And my calling is, you know, a lot of us in the world of, of human suffering. And so you go to Job. It's interesting. My, my, my daughter has been, um, a class at school. I had her going through Job and, and she, she comes to me right for the, right for the meetings. Dad, can you, can you read these three chapters for me? I mean, she's kind of trying to cheat. She wants me to give her, you know, but, but I'm having to go through Job again. And I was just reminded again, if you go through Job and you listen to every every sermon of all of Job's counselors, and it's exactly what you said a moment ago, Michelle, about until we understand there aren't any answers to the deepest parts of this, every sermon of Job's counselors, and they're the ones that God spanks in the end, right? He says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You didn't speak the truth of me as my servant Job did. And they and Job forgive them, right? But listen to those people talking to Job when he's lost everything. He's lost all of his kids. He's lost everything. He's, his body is ravaged. He's been suffering through hell. He didn't do one thing to cause it. He is a victim here, right? In fact, he got chosen because he hadn't done anything to deserve it. Yeah. And the religious counselors came in. It's like a walk through a Christian bookstore. Here's what they told him. Get in the word more. You don't know God's precepts well enough. You don't have enough faith. If you would believe, let your righteousness be your guard. Let's get your position in Christ secure and let's get your behavior secure and you wouldn't be suffering. Or put the sin far away from you. You must be doing something to be causing this. There's... There's a bunch of what we hear from a lot of these books. Yeah. And Job's going, he's killing me. 
But who else do I have? Though he slay me, I will trust him. And God says, you know, shut up. Invent an alligator or shut up. (laughs) You're telling me what I'm doing? (laughs) I think I get this. And finally, like you're saying, we don't have an answer. And we end up in Romans 9 and 10 where Paul says how unfathomable we can't understand him. Yeah and put him in a theological model, and that's why we call him God. If we could understand it and we had the answers, who needs God? And a lot of these little models, they don't need God. That's why we got to bring the kingdom. Because yeah. we can't do what we can't do what the kingdom does. A cessationalist can do everything that any other philosopher can do. They can make their intellectual arguments and win a debate and have a syllogism where I've proven God by a mathematical formula. And when they see the blind see, that's a different deal. So that's where I've spent a lot of my time. Love that. Yeah. Man, Henry, I, I cannot, or I would say on behalf of all of us, we cannot thank you enough for your time, man. Um, I'm, I tell you this when I'm, you know, I tell you all this. Where were we? Were we in Ecuador or, or yeah. Ecuador? When I am with pastors, um, literally, it it scares the hell out of me because I feel like I'm on holy ground. I have that experience basically three times when I'm with pastors. Because you, you guys, you. <laughs> hey, Kevin, Kevin, you got to meet Mike. <laughs> you're, 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 you do it. I mean, you, you know, you come on. You're just, you're the shepherds, pastors, and poor, the poorest of the poor. I it just scares me to death because I'm in the presence of angels. What was the second one? Jews. Oh. See, for me, it's kids. <laughs> They're just like the best teachers and the holiest humans right. ever. For me. And who is that? You know, they're the least. They're, unless you become like one of these. So I feel like when I'm with you guys, I'm with angels, and I better be careful because God. Thank you. Well, anyway, I, I I say all that to say I I I hold in high regard what you do. We thank and appreciate you too. Yeah, can't can't thank you enough, Henry. Thank you so much, man. This has been a, I'm sure this is a blessing to everybody that's online and that will watch afterwards uh, with the Portland pastors. There's a, a unique story going on here, and this is a this is this is very very helpful. So thanks, man. It's cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. You know, for for all the emotional stuff, because you you guys are going to get hit with this, you know, with the COVID thing and everything. Um, check out Churches That Heal. It's a program that I've built for churches um, to be able to address the pastoral staff's needs and their healing first. Secondly, to, you know, reach out to the community. And thirdly, the to be able to gather people in small groups and individuals to be able to go, uh, go through this stuff. So check that out, churchesatheal.com. Hey, thanks for listening today. I hope you were able to glean something useful from this conversation for whatever you're going through this week. Video and show notes are available at togetherpdx.org slash podcast. 
And don't forget to check out togetherpdx.org slash events to find out the next live gospel gathering in the Portland metro area.